It's the Dramedy Podcast. Get it now, Marisa. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Traumedy Podcast. It's your friend Ken Allen bringing you another episode, the long-awaited podcast uh, that I I have ruminated over for my career and have had many different folkloric answers to and ways of going about it. But really, I tried to distill it down to the tenets of why EMTs Don't get paid adequately. Or wait a minute, wait a minute. Do they? Do they get paid? So now listen, there's going to be a lot of rehash on this. If you know about the medical profession, you will probably know a lot of this info. This is geared towards, uh, this is geared towards a Joe and Jane public that don't quite understand what an EMT does, an EMT and what a paramedic does and, uh, how they differ. And what sort of living conditions you can hope to afford as an EMT? A couple things here, everybody. Uh, I am filming in a bombed-out um, shelter that uh, is known as the Kitchen Underground. So uh, we're, we're mobile casting today. I wanted to hammer this out. As I promised, I'd have one every Wednesday. And you can tell your friends and family. We're at com. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We are rocking and rolling I will, um, my, and like I said, we're going to have one up every every Wednesday. So I had to do this between jobs. I just left the firehouse, and now I'm uh, I'm, I'm almost due at uh, City College to teach EMT. And that's another thing that I have uh, that I take umbrage with is that um, I teach these people, and yet they go out into a sea of other EMTs and underpaid positions. So how do I reconcile what I teach? And what they're about to face and, and the, uh, the importance of what I teach. And it comes down to a couple of big, uh, tenants here. So, um, I'm going to try and lay them out. Now, now we've all sat around and talked about this when you're EMTs, why you get paid so little. And, uh, there's all these different ideas about why it, it would be such a low paying gig. And, you know, the conspiracies behind it and so forth. But really, it does boil down to a couple of big issues here that we have to keep in mind. Number one, I want to sound like Dan Carlin here. How important is your life? Who do you want coming to work on you when you're having the big one? Who do you want taking care of you when you've crashed your vehicle and you're pinned inside with your baby. You'd be surprised to find out what these people make on a daily basis. How is that? You guys listen to Hardcore History? It's pretty damn good. Here's the thing. That's the case, right? We always we always paint this picture of the EMT as the lifesaver who runs in and says, Don't worry. I've got you. And boom, they make some move in the lifesavers and everything, right? It's awesome. That's that's why most of us got into the profession. But the reality versus the ideal, in some cases, can be pretty 
Um, it's in stark contrast. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. You do go on those big life-saving adventures, but you also, you, uh, will go and have a lot of time to contemplate your position, to think about maybe moving on to something else, to see how other people are living and to maybe make life decisions to alter your position as an EMT. And I'm going to put it all out there for you. And at the end, hopefully, I can give you a non-biased opinion on this. But by the end, I'm going to have to ring in with a, an editorial, for sure. For sure. Because, you know, th- this is why we got into this. We got into this to be heroes on some level, okay? We got into this to be problem solvers at some point. Uh, and to, to really face the the precipice of chaos and save some people from death. I I think that's why most of us started this. There was a glamour. There was a romance. There was a sexiness to it. And when you see the differences, uh, you know, why aren't you getting paid to do that kind of job? Well, maybe you're not in that arena of the job. So let me make it down, break it down like this. Okay. There's two different big moves I'm going to make EMTs and paramedics. We are different. We do different jobs. A paramedic has the ability to put anything inside the body and take things out of the body. It's a more invasive, more responsible position. Paramedics can start IVs. Boom, we put a needle inside. We can put saline through that needle. We can put morphine and Narcan and epinephrine through that needle and change your body up in significant ways, bring you back in significant ways. And potentially, if we don't know what we're doing and we're not paying attention, harm you in significant ways. And so there's a larger responsibility to us doing that. In addition, we can put in endotracheal tubes, which is a tube directly down the throat into the trachea, which is a guaranteed airway in case you really need to have that airway open, which you usually do. Uh, we can decompress a chest if you have a collapsed lung or what's known as a pneumothorax. We can do that. We can actually put a needle or, in some cases, a tube right from your neck into uh, your lungs. Did you ever see that movie, The Doll Maker? I think it was Jane Fonda where she uses a pen and cuts a hole in her son's throat because he's choking. And uh, she breathes through that. We basically do that, but like for legit style. Now... <clears throat> EMTs are able to, when you show up, let's say you get in a car accident, right? We are able to patch you up day and night all the time. Throw any bandages on that you want. Strap you onto a backboard safely as you can. Log rolling, putting on a neck collar, putting on a headbed, you know, all the big things to get you safely from your destructed car to a hospital for an examination, and potentially an operation. Uh, they're able to assist with some medication. So let's say your patient has aspirin with them. You can take out a couple of those pills, hand them to the patient, and say, can you please take those pills? And the patient, if they're alert and they're conscious, they can do that. They can take those medications. But they're not allowed to take any medication that's not the patient's and give it to them, aside from glucose or sugar. Okay, because sometimes uh, if you're low blood sugar, you might need that. But even in that case, uh, the patient has to be able to give it to themselves. They can't just squirt sugar into their mouths, you know. Some people say, oh, you can rub it on the gums or under the tongue. Nah, just don't. Just hang on till the paramedic gets there and we'll give them dextrose, IV. Okay, 
So the EMT does what's called BLS, basic life support. They're able to just handle anything that's coming out of you. They can, they can sop it up. They can bandage it up. They can package you up and they can get you to the hospital. The paramedic's going to do all the big treatments on you if need be before you get to the hospital. And, and they've been around a long time. Paramedics have been around for about a hundred years, can we say? Like the, the, the medic position as we know it kind of got it, it's sunk its teeth at uh, World War One, and was more refined in World War Two, and Vietnam Korea and Vietnam I mean in fact <clears throat> you know MASH is about a mobile unit those are mostly doctors but when you had the advent of getting morphine I'm sorry if you get IVs and morphine for that matter and uh, serum or saline or whatever you're going to use for the IV fluid you know those guys were walking around with that equipment in World War II, for the most part, and in Vietnam and Korea. So the combat medic evolved into the civilian medic. You want to look at nurses, they go back even further. I mean, really, they go back when you had war surgeons or battle surgeons, where they were following around armies as they attacked different countries, different regions, and after each battle, they would bring back the wounded and the surgeons would perform operations and the nurses would assist with that. So really the surgeon's role, in fact, it goes more back to about the mid 14 or 1500s. Um, before that, surgeons weren't even known as surgeons. You know, this boys and girls, they were barbers. Surgeons were barbers. It was considered, in fact, the word barbarous comes from that. It was a pretty brutal profession, hacking things off, tearing out teeth, um, you know, uh, lancing boils. It was pretty gross shit, pretty gross stuff. But nevertheless, the surgeon has been around for much, much longer than the medic and even longer than the nurse. The physician, the, the overall arching humanitarian Asclepius um, you know, um, what's the guy's name? The, uh, oh God, uh, the Greek guy, uh, Hipp- Hipp- Hippocrates, Hippocrates, you know, they go back to ancient Greece, thousands of years of establishing a profession of patient care, of life-saving measures, of learning how to do things. In fact, you could even say nurses kind of come from witches and, you know, learning how to use uh, holistic medications and things. I mean, that's cool. I would, if I were a nurse, I would consider myself like a Wiccan. If I was a, a like a woman nurse, you know, I would be like, yeah, I like date back to like the Salem trials where my, my people had to go into exile. Um, whatever. So what I'm saying is this. Those professions have been around a long time and have had the test and the metal, you know, proven in them. Not even that, but they've had unions or guilds that have been able to fight for their rights, have been able to fight for wages. And so they've been tested and they've been established throughout the, the, the centuries. Cut to the 1960s when the Department of Transportation started releasing all this information showing highway deaths and, and, and injuries because of crazy driving how insane the cities had become because of cars and freeways. And they said something had to be done. There's just, it's not, we're not saving enough people. Before that, you had ambulance drivers driving around in those Cadillac 
uh, you know, station wagons where they'd go and pick up the patient. You know, you've seen like the cartoon where the guy crashes on his motorcycle and they, they guys run over with the, with the stretcher. Then they pick up the motorcycle and put that into the ambulance and drive away. And the guy looks up, huh? That was about the level of training, <laughs> training that you had to have to be an ambulance driver. Some of them knew first aid. A lot of them had come back from the war and they had been medics or they had been some kind of first aid qualified uh, soldiers. So they knew what they were doing, but there was nothing written down in paper. You see, there was nothing. There was no rules or no protocols set up. And after these reports started showing up, they realized, all right, we, we have to do something more for the people on the streets that are being injured. We've learned from the wars that we need immediate care. But what are we going to do? How are we going to do that? We got doctors that can ride with the ambulance drivers, or we can start training these ambulance drivers to know a little bit more on first aid. Hence, the EMT was born around that time. EMTs is a kind of catch-all profession now. You're the one that goes to pick up the patient. You need to have the qualification in order to become a firefighter. You need to jump from EMT you got to have that in order to become a medic. Um, you need to have that, in most cases, to work in hospitals. And a lot of cases, dispatchers, 911 dispatchers, need to have at least an EMT certification, right? So it's kind of like the advanced first aid license, but you learn medical problems as well. But you would think with all that training, you'd get paid a decent amount. I mean, what you're doing is picking up people, saving them from death on the roads. But... It works out that you don't really make that kind of money. So what are we talking about? What's the average salary for a beginning EMT? Well, in California, starting off as a straight EMT working for a pre-hospital ambulance company, it's about 14 bucks an hour. So what's minimum wage? It's about that now, isn't it, in California? If you were looking at other jobs, let's say, you know, being a firefighter, you're going to make you're going to make 50 50 to 120 as a EMT firefighter. Uh, if you're working as a phlebotomist or a medical assistant, um, you're making about 30 to 40. Lab techs make 30 to 40K a year. ER techs make about 30 to 130, depending on seniority, which hospital you work for, et cetera, right? Those are EMT qualified. But the thing is, why are they making more? Well, because they're in charge of more responsibilities. If you're an EMT firefighter, you're not just doing medical calls as an EMT. You're also firefighting. You also get trained in specialties like USAR or cliff rescue or, you know, whatever you want, re heavy rescue or beach rescue in some cases. Uh, if you're working as an ER tech, you're going to learn how to do 12 leads. You're going to be doing patient triage when you work in the emergency room waiting room, right? People come in, you do your blood pressures, pulses, et cetera. You learn what their chief complaint is. And then you triage them in importance and you put them into the spot that they need to be in in order to get treated effectively, you know, when they need that treatment. But you're always, as an EMT, and here's one of the big reasons, you're not very far from your supervising person, whoever your supervisor is. In hospitals, it's going to be a doctor or a nurse. You're directly underneath them. In fact, I mean, they are geographically close to you. In, in, the, in a fire department, you're an EMT paramedic, or I'm sorry, an EMT firefighter. 
the paramedic is on scene and the captain is on scene and you have a supervisor there that, you know, in case you need to have, call in someone. And on an ambulance, your partner literally, is, if you're working 911, will be a paramedic. So anytime something big needs to happen, anytime some big decision has to go down, you're not making it. Someone else of a higher educational training is going to make it. And that's why the first big thing is, well, you don't have that much responsibility. You're doing the basic first aid, and then anything else that you need to do, paramedic's going to direct you to do it, or captain's going to direct you to do it. And that really comes down to this. Um, what? How long does it take to train as an EMT? So I teach at City College. It takes them one semester, three days a week. It's still not enough time, in my opinion, but they do do about 180 hours, period, of instruction and training and skills. And then with those that one semester, they're expected to come out and be able to work in a system and treat for heart attacks, strokes, car accidents, falls. You name it, they better be able to run it with the help of a paramedic. Paramedic training is a little bit longer. Usually about, oh, and by the way, there are EMT professions in our schools that are about a month long, which is crazy. Same amount of hours, they just compact them in, they do it online, and then they're supposed to go out and take care of the people that they've never seen or even trained to take care of. Paramedic school, a little bit longer. Usually six months to about a year and a half, depending on all the things you need to do. Yes, it takes six months. And in my case, when I went to my school, it was a year long of didactic classroom skills and tests and studying and learning the basic things, starting IVs, uh, pushing drugs, intubation, cricothyrotomies, all of those things that you need to learn how to do. That was about a year long. Additionally, you need to do clinicals. You need to go to hospitals and you need to work in the emergency room and practice getting real IV sticks. You need to practice real patient care. You need to work inside a receiving room, get directions and see how hectic and chaotic it can get and how you can function in those areas. Along the way, you learn that most of the time what you're doing is just kind of helping people, putting up their seats, cleaning out emesis basins, um, you know, all the other stuff that you realize, I think this is most of the job is taking care of the minutia that a doctor or nurse doesn't want to do. You go and work in the OB clinics. I delivered uh, two or three babies in the confines of an OB ward, which was great because as soon as I got out, I got a couple emergency births that I didn't feel as nervous about because I had seen a couple in the hospital in a controlled setting. I worked in the pediatric unit. You go to the psych ward. You check and do a bunch of different things. And then once you've done that and you've finished your schooling, then you have to go do an internship on an ambulance. Nine out of ten times it's an ambulance. Sometimes you can do it through a fire department. But what you need to do is have a preceptor or a captain or a supervisor, paramedic, who watches you run a number of calls and make sure that you know what you're doing on those calls. You run intubation, you, you do intubations, you, you push drugs. On mine, I had six codes, which was totally insane. They called me the Grim Reaper. That was basically in two months, I was running three resuscitations a month for two months. And to get that during my internship was 
you know, looking back, as stressful as it was, it was a godsend. Because by the sixth code, I knew exactly how to run it. I was talking to everybody calmly. Great guys, we were doing great. You mind passing this over here? I was turning on lights. I was turning off TVs. You know, I was already thinking outside the box with it. And that was only because I got inundated. I got kind of trial by fired. And that was rad. So that takes about two months to four months to get through that. Okay? And then you have to take a test and so forth. So all told, paramedic school is about a year and a half before you can start operating or applying for jobs. So six months to a year and a half. Little difference in training, right? Nursing school, take that paramedic school, move it out another six months usually, maybe two years, and now I believe it's becoming four years for nursing. So you're getting a BA in nursing. And then, of course, a doctorate. Uh, what's it going to take? you got to start taking classes in high school in order to get your doctorate by about 27, 28. Okay? So... The number of time, the number of hours that you're using to study, the number of hours of study, of work, of applying yourself will pay off in your paycheck. You've got to keep that in mind. By the way, how much do you think an Uber driver makes? It's about 30 to 40K a year, depending on how much you decide to work. Now, do you get do you get uh, benefits from that? Usually not. But here's the thing: they are taxing people around just like an EMT is. If you want to call him an ambulance driver, what about all of the extra training that he or she has received? It's not as much as a medic, but it's certainly more than an Uber, an Uber driver has has had, right? And is or is at least responsible to to use if and when the emergency presents itself. So they're making about the same as an Uber driver. Keep that in mind. Now, how much do you think you're going to make work in private versus public? This, again, comes down to this whole idea that, you know, the system is inundated with EMTs, flooded with a huge supply of, of us. And because of that, they really don't have to pay us too high. The demand is, is low and the supply is high. You know how this works, right? So when you're dealing with that, you're going to not get paid a lot of money. And private companies have a lot on their plate, and they have a very, very slim margin of profit. Usually, if you are a private ambulance company in a 911 system with their contract, the majority of your calls will be to lower socioeconomic people, oftentimes with no insurance, uh, either because they're illegal and they don't want to claim that they're in the United States or they're homeless or they're just not responsible with their lives. Hence, they're not healthy because they're not responsible with their health. You know, that's a lot of reasons why we go on homeless people. So because of that, they're making a lot of runs on these calls for free. Okay, and it's understandable in a humanitarian sense if you're dealing with it on a budgetary sense, it's uh, terrible for them. And because of that, pay is going to stay low on their employing, on employee side in order to take care of that. The other, You know how they receive most of the money is usually from the middle class, higher, upper class who do have insurance. And that's why, that's why you have such high bills, medical bills right now. Because the, the 20% of society is paying for 90% of society. Does that make sense? Okay, 20% is paying for the other 80%. How about that? Um, it all falls under the... 
Pareto principle, which is uh, the study that 20% of something makes 90% of the whatever it is, the product. Pareto was looking at bean trees and he was noticing that only 20% of his trees uh, were really doing the big amount of bean production. Uh, they were making 90%. The other ones were just kind of staggering and making a little bit of bean here and there, a little, little couple pods here and there, right? So if you look at that, you can see that it equates to most of society. You're, you're dealing with 20% usually covering 80 to 90% of the product. And uh, you can see that that's kind of what's happening here. You can notice that in systems where you have busy, busy calls, busy high-income flux of calls, like in San Jose, San Francisco, Oakland, 20% of the area is making up 90% of the calls. Usually that's in the inner cities, that's in bad areas uh, where people are woefully unhealthy, they're risky with their lives, um, you know, there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of abuse, uh, physical, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, what you name it, it's all in those areas. They're the ones that are making uh, those are the ones calling 911, and and that's the majority of the yearly calls that you you see. Um, that's also where you want to go and work if you want to cut your teeth in real medicine and real patient care. Because right there, you're going to learn it, you know, bur- burned into you. I mean, you're going you're gonna to teach yourself twice as much in half the time. There's a little bit of my opinion coming in there. So because of that, private companies have to deal with the fact that they're not going to get paid for maybe 2 to 4% uh, or 2 to 4 out of 10 calls because they're picking up people that don't have any way to reimburse the company. They're not going to reimburse for the treatment, for the transport, for the diesel and the drugs, right? And so because of that, well, they're going to try and find ways to cut corners. And that's why EMTs work in private companies usually make some of the lowest amount of money that any caregiver can can make in a system. However, it's usually the first stepping stone. And here's a big thing to keep in mind. Maybe EMT should not be a career profession. Maybe it should be the first in many different jobs or in that profession. Right? Maybe... You need to get in there, start working as an EMT, even if it just means volunteering, which is what most people I know had to do. And I did it for two years. I did it for two and a half years. In order to start learning the things that you need to learn in order to qualify for experience, which will then get you into paramedic school or nursing school or something, even even, uh, medical schools now want some kind of volunteer experience, some kind of working with the lower socioeconomic group of people to show that you care, to show that you get it a little bit, that your head's in the right place. Um, and, 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 and you have to do that. You have to be able to do that. Now, dealing with these private companies, you have to think, if I'm going to get paid this, this poorly, how am I going to support myself If I want a family with a wife or husband and children, I want to buy a home, am I going to be able to support myself on an EMT income? I'll tell you right now in the Bay Area, absolutely not. No, you will not be able to pull this off today. No, Uh, you miss the income. You miss the um, the house, the housing situation by a few decades, sir or madam. 
You're not going to be able to afford a house here, period. If you think that you're going to be able to support a family and say um, someone, uh, your significant stays home and takes care of the kids, um, I would plan on living somewhere, you know, in a shack out past Bakersfield. Because it's just, you can't pull it off. You can't pull it off here. So what it ends up creating is a situation where you work as an EMT, you gain about six months experience, and then you leap off into another profession. Now, here's something to think about. This is also why there's not a strong EMT presence in their union and in their benefits, right? And there's no one really fighting for EMTs because there's nobody staying EMTs anymore. If you see the writing on the wall, you promote. So you have all of these older medical professions like doctor and surgeon and nurse and paramedic, and they have a stronger union because people can live off of that income and people will fight to keep that income and to make pay or wage increases. EMTs, because of the life expectancy of an EMT, which is about six months to two years, on average, you don't have somebody in your corner uh, rounding up the people, the workforce, as it were, and fighting for your rights. I do know a few career EMTs. They are in the twilight of their careers right now. And, uh, you know, they bought homes back in the 70s or early 80s. And they established a life. I think maybe because they volunteered for long enough that they realized if they scrimped and saved um, with their new EMT pay, they could actually exist off of it. But they bought in early. And had it been now that they started, I doubt very many of them would even uh, consider it viable for, for five to ten years. It's a crazy thought. But private companies are much more inclined to hire medics because of this. And they actually make some some allowances. If you're an EMT and you're going to go to medic school, uh, they were really good with the guys, like when it was an AMR in Oakland, they were really good with people's flip-flopping schedules in order to make way make room for their paramedic classes and, and things like that. So they are um, they're willing to work with you if you're going to try and move up in emergency medicine. So keep that in mind. It's probably not going to be your job forever. You may do it as a part-time thing with something else, but you're not going to be able to afford just living as an EMT. Usually, the career goal is paramedic. The career goal is EMT slash firefighter. You're going to work for a fire department being a firefighter. That will help you pay. You're going to work as an EMT in an emergency room, an ER tech. You're going to learn how to do 12 leads. You're going to be able to work your way up within the ranks of an established hospital. And if you're doing that, if you're working for some place like Kaiser um, or you're working for a city, your position is going to be, number one, a little bit more protected, and two, it's going to have more rights. You're going to be under a union, and you're going to have people fighting for your wages. And that is a big reason why people are sodding, seeking out working for the public sector versus the private. It's one of the only times you can think that the public sector actually pays better than the private sector. So 
you know, keep keep this in mind. If you're going to try and get into this stuff, you need to already have a goal beyond EMT, which means start early and think of it as a stepping stone. And don't get caught into it. Despite what you want and how great the company is, explain to them, you know, once you get in there, hey, I can't just exist off of this wage. I guarantee you it's not the first time they've heard that. Um, and the other thing is, if you're sure about it, all it takes is one semester to get through the course. Do it early. See if you like it. You'll have your license, you'll have your EMT cert, and you can start working early. I got it in high school. I'm not saying that you guys could all, you know, you should all do this. I took a night class my senior year of high school. All you got to be is 18. And I got through with it then. And and then you can jump on summer jobs working on an ambulance at your college. You could jump on an, a lifeguarding or whatever it happens to be. You know, I used it to work at a summer camp, whatever. I used it to work in um, at a nurse's station, you know, and I wasn't working on a box. I was working. I was I was going to school. I was going to college. But the other thing is I could have and I should have. It would have been a better move for me to have that experience early and had a leaping off point you know, from 18 rather than 25, is, which is when I ended up starting paramedic school. 23 was when I started doing volunteer work. And you know how long it took me to get a fire job? All told, seven years. So when I tell that to people, you, you see a lot of them go, oh, oh, man, I don't know what I, that's a long time. And I said, yeah, not only that, I wasn't getting paid for about two and a half of those years. And it took a lot of commitment. A lot of dedication here. But in the end, it's worth it if you're willing to keep moving forward. So here's the other part of it. Most of these EMTs are going to weed themselves out of the market beyond. So it's like this. You can get into the position, realize that you're not going to get paid a lot, and start to promote. Or you can get in there and realize it's not going to pay a lot and drop out and start a new profession. Or you can stay into it and you can sit and stagnate. And now finally, this is kind of my big opinion. I see a lot of these EMTs that have been doing it for a long time. They start to get salty after about two years. This whole salty thing drives me up a freaking tree, man. I, I kid you not. I, I've I've gotten to the end of my rope. I've been at burnout several times in my career as a medic. Uh, there's a sophomore one that happens at about two to three years. There's one that happens at about 10 years. And um, that, that, one, that one was tough because you seriously kind of get to that point where you go, I've, I've done it all. I've done it all. Uh, why am I doing this still? Why am I running the same calls? What can I do to change this? I could have promote. I can promote out of this. Uh, or I can find another profession to go along with it. Um, and in, in many ways, that's why I teach, because I'm teaching the public now, teaching you guys what an emergency is and what's not an emergency, why call 911 and why you don't need to call 911 for this and clog up the system for somebody who actually does need a call. Those are things that I find important. But it took burnout to let me realize, all right, uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't just I can't just sit in this. Excuse me, I can't just sit in this and stew and get angry. And I've seen a few EMTs 
that just get to that point and they, their shirts are untucked and they're walking around. And it's like, can you just get into the gurney, ma'am, or deer? Okay, please, deer. Please, deer, can you get in this? Please get in the van. <sighs> and they're like, oh, I'm just burnt out. It's like, really? How long have you been working? Two and a half years, man. Same old thing. Yeah, it is. Figure out some answer to it rather than being shitty. There's no other answer, bro. Keep that in mind. Uh, you get a promote out of it, find a new job, or learn to be grateful in what you're doing. Okay? But either way, um, I think the best answer is move up in the chain. You are at the bottom rung of pre-hospital care. Crap falls downhill. Right? You're not going to get filet mignon sitting at the bottom rung of the ladder. You're going to get you're going to get institution grade ground beef. Climb the ladder, and you start getting some tri tip. You know, get a little get a little sirloin. What? Keep going. What's this, New York, pal? What's this, fillet? You know, climb up to the thing that you want. Get the pay increase and the benefit increase that you want by climbing up to meet it. And really, once you do that, you get a little bit more grateful about it. I find that if when you you earn something, you, you just like it more. You know, I, when you buy a car that you're just going, oh, man, I don't know if I can afford this. But you're like, I really want this. And you find a way to make it work, which you usually you do. You find a way to make it work. You just appreciate that freaking car. You just like every time you see it, you're like, there she is. Look at that beauty. Look at the sun. You know, just dance off them curves. And that's how I feel about the position. It's like when you, it, after seven years, finally getting it, it was like, you know, fist pump into the air, screaming tribal, um, you know, that I, that I made it. So there you have to keep that in mind. It's something you have to climb up to get. That's in my personal opinion. Also, you know, you have to realize that these, these companies you work for may not be the best companies. They are going to try and, and, you know, shave off your pay and, and take a little advantage of you, try to get you to work all the times. And it's going to kick you in the ass. And you got to keep that in mind that it's going to suck a little bit. To a certain extent, rise to the occasion and pick up a little extra work. Remember, you work hard because of the fact that you want to do good for people. Uh, and in a lot of ways, that's kind of our downfall is we will take on more and whip for less. But by putting in your time and realizing what exactly you can give and what you need to keep to yourself, you just get a little bit more rounded about what you uh, are willing to do for your profession. And and really, um, you know, you got to keep that in mind. At certain times you can bend and, and you can do things for the company provided they help you out. They're going to let you switch shifts with somebody because you're going to paramedic school. That's good, you know. And you kind of do owe them a little something, or at least there's something to bend uh, in that case. You know, there's a company that's worth it. When you're getting shysted, is that a word? I don't know. Shafted definitely works. When you're getting shafted, though, at a certain point you have to draw the line. Don't be afraid to draw that line. And say, this is not, you know, I, I don't appreciate this uh, kind of treatment. Or how about just, you know, I can't do that. And in fact, I'm, I'm actually going to start interviewing for other positions in other places. You know, don't get tied down. And for sure, don't take it out on the patient. Because it's not their fault. They don't know any of these politics. They have no clue. 
So, like, you know, you find yourself being like, oh, for the same call I'm going on, she's doing the same thing. Not the same patient, same kind of call. They don't know. Don't walk around. You're tired. You've been up all night. That's not their fault, right? So don't take it out on them. I think there is some kind of line to draw here, lastly, that you get paid better. You're going to attract better people to work for you. Um or you're going to work in a better, better company. Uh, my friend Marcus, who now is in, he's in Australia, he's an Australian, and he works for an air ambulance company. Uh, but we were in Afghanistan together, and he said, you could come to, uh, you come to Australia, man, and you'd make a killing as a medic. We treat us really well. They treat us really well over there. You can, you know, and you get a really good salary. And because of that, there's a lot of happy employees and, you know, a lot of people aspire to that profession. I think it's because Australia is so freaking dangerous. Just everything is dangerous over there. So they really, they really respect their EMTs and medics. So there is some, there is a little work that needs to happen from these companies to start treating their medics a little bit better, paying them a little bit more, making their benefits a little bit more uh you know livable and you know the cities could help out too i would love to see some low-income housing dedicated for lifesavers and teachers there's no way i could afford to live in san jose right now Uh, there's just zero the, the housing market there is exploding and the city doesn't seem to realize that so they're still trying to cut our pay on top of everything else I commute an hour and a half to work. You know, this is the way it's going to be. I'm not asking them to be, give me more money. I'm asking, don't cut my pay right now, sirs. Um, and it gets you angry. But remember, you know, fight for what you want. Fight for what you deserve. But if you can find a place that treats you better, <laughs> go apply. You're going to get better people working there. And you're going to be more grateful to work there. So a lot of this is working in that EMT position for a private company for a year or two and realizing this sucks. I'm going to apply harder for another position and I'm going to find a way to work as a fire EMT or I'm going to go to paramedic school. I'm going to treat this as a learning lesson and as a stepping stone. Don't be afraid to move forward if you're sure don't stagnate and take it out in the public. Okay. And I wish the people out there really realized this because it is their lives in the balance. And they seem to be kind of always shaving off our pay, not really taking uh, time to realize just what we deal with on a regular basis. But also, um, you know, they're, they're, they're getting the, they're getting some information from the city that's painting a horror story that, you know, that, you know, there's so much money going into our pay in our retirement. And they're saying, well, we can't afford to pay that kind of money to these people that, you know, once they retire at uh, 55, you know, we can't afford to pay for the rest of their lives. Well, that's funny. You don't have to because we die of cancer or we die of heart disease. So these, these statistics aren't that great. Um, and now I'm getting off track, boy. Here's the point. We got one life to live. Find the direction you want to go in. And if it was about saving lives, fucking save your own first. Make sure that you're working in a job that you really like doing. And if it's not paying you enough, move to another job and enjoy it the whole way. I think I got wildly off topic there and I I apologize. But 
ha, you know, that does make up some, some, some interesting clues, you know, cues as to why, clues as to why EMTs don't get made that, don't get, excuse me, don't get paid that much money. You know, maybe you shouldn't look at it as a career profession anymore. Maybe you should look at it as the first step in your life-saving career. Thanks, everybody. Remember, tell your friends, tell your family about this. And if you're interested in taking some ENT courses, look at City College to San Francisco.edu and see about the courses. There's two a semester, and there's one in the summer. And I'm teaching on all of them, and I'm doing the refresher. So if you're interested, take it, ccsf.edu, or look around for your uh, daily uh, regular private company that's teaching EMT classes. I think, in honesty, I believe it should be taught in high school. I believe it should at least be uh, an elective in college for everyone to take because you need to know how to take care of your fellow man or yourself or your children or your, your parents or grandparents. And it really will teach you a pretty good understanding of the human body. Beyond that, once you got it, hell, you could be a medic, you can jump to nursing, whatever you feel like doing after that, but you're going to know what you're getting yourself into. I love you, and I hope you're having a great day and you're healthy. Get out there and run. Get out there and uh, flex your muscles and be a tribal human being. Scream at the sun. If you got it, use it.